Today, more than 1,600 people will die prematurely in the United States alone from cancer. What can you do to prevent this tragedy? Hi, this is Dr. Mercola, helping you take control of your health. And today, we are joined by not one, but two guests, Travis Christofferson, who I spoke with, uh, I, th I think the year before last, uh, was one of our most viewed interviews, and uh, an associate of his who he's met, who's a clinician, a physician from Turkey, Dr. Abdul Slocum, who has some data to present to confirm the effectiveness. In fact, this is one of the first controlled clinical trials showing and documenting the effectiveness of nutritional ketosis in the treatment of advanced stages of cancer. So welcome guys and thank you for joining us. So Travis, why don't you provide, since you know Dr. Slocum a bit better, why don't you provide a framework and before he prevent, pre presents his information, which to my understanding has really never been shared before publicly, although we attempted to do it in Tampa two weeks ago, but he got short-circuited and was not, unable to present his data. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to, for, for this data to be presented. Um, well, as, as you said, you, you know, cancer is, continues to be a, a worsening issue. Diagnosis has gone from one in four to one in three and are rapidly approaching one in two. It's set to surpass heart disease as the number one killer in the Western world. And the uh, World Health Organization estimates that the number of new cases expected to rise by 70% in, in, the, in the next two decades. So we've been at treating this disease a long time. Nixon signed the Cancer Act in 1971. And just as a metaphor about where we've come, Ted Kennedy was in the background of a photograph when Nixon was signing the cancer, the war on cancer. And you could see the hubris in these guys. It was widely believed that we'd have this disease solved within the next few years. We just landed on the moon, enthusiasm was high. If you fast forward to 2009, Ted Kennedy died from brain cancer. And he really had the same treatment paradigm that was available when Nixon signed the war on cancer in 71, which oncologists just call slash burn and poison, radiation, surgery, and cytotoxic chemotherapy. Radiation and surgery have been around for over 100 years, and cytotoxic chemotherapy was developed right after World War II. So cancer death rates from treatment have barely budged since the 1950s. And in the, the mid-70s, we thought we finally understood the molecular basis of cancer, the events that actually caused it. It was caused by sequential mutations to key oncogenes, and then we'd be able to target these mutations, and, and this ushered in the era of targeted therapy. And again, it was thought that we'd have cancer solved within five to 10 years' time. And now the consensus of these targeted drugs have been an absolute bitter disappointment. They barely moved the needle on cancer rates. And the price to value is just is a ratio that gets worse and worse. In 2013, we spent $91 billion on oncology worldwide. 2014, no cancer drug was approved that was less than $100,000. 2015, eight drugs were approved that were over $120,000. So this trajectory is going to bankrupt the system, and these drugs have marginal efficacy at best. The, the oncology is rising at five times faster price than any other branch of medicine. So one of the biggest problems we have is the regulatory environment. The FDA has set up these absurd criteria for what the burden of proof that we have to surmount to get a new drug to market. And it requires these massive phase three, double-blind, placebo-controlled clinical trials, which are fantastic, but they're exert, you know, the, the expense is so onerous. To take a drug from conception to FDA approval is a billion dollars. And we need these huge, the sad part is we need these huge statistical blocks to prove these drugs are efficacious because yardstick is only major in median survival increases of weeks. So an example of that is uh, tar Tarsivia, which is, approved about 10 years ago. It's got a pretty bad side effect profile. It's expensive and it boosts median survival for pancreatic cancer patients by 10 days. So that's what we're dealing with, those kind of things. So we have, we have ironically, we have this catch 22 in the system where big farm is incentivized to make these, to de-risk this process because it's so expensive and make these marginal improvements. Well, in the meantime, we have these non-patentable therapies that sit on the sideline that could potentially game change, be game changers for cancer, but they cannot get the billion-dollar backing to push through these huge trials to get the burden approved to where the oncology community will actually incorporate them to the clinic.
So there's so many, the arsenal we have today compared to the 70s is so much more rich that we, if we could use. We have all these interesting metabolic therapies. We have repurposed drugs that we could use. Um, but the oppressive regulatory environment just needs to be loosened so we can surmount the burden of proof. Phase one, phase two data, if we have a good objective response, and if they're safe, most of these drugs and therapies are extremely safe, that should be good enough. So I, I, the, the epilogue in my book, I asked the question, what would it look like today if we had a less onerous regulatory environment like they did in the 70s and good oncologists were allowed to, what, like Vincent DeVita said, figure it out, to try some of these therapies in the clinic and see what happens. And that's why I'm so happy we have Dr. Slocum here because he's given us this first glimpse of what metabolic therapies will look like when they're incorporated into the clinic. Well, thank you, Travis. And I have just um, one comment on that great ex uh, introduction that you provided in that the, you said that these expensive drugs that are being developed over $125,000 um, are going to bankrupt the system. The, the, the truth of the matter is that the system is already bankrupt. The only reason it's able to continue is that the government has the, actually the Federal Reserve has the ability to, to print money continuously because it's the world's reserve currency. But if they didn't do that, we'd be bankrupt already. So eventually there'll be a recon, final reconciliation. And certainly it's the, these costs of the drugs and the whole, whole treatment strategy is, is, is going to contribute to that, that factor. So Dr. Slocum, thank you and welcome for joining us. And, uh, Perhaps you can provide a little bit of a introduction for yourself too, with respect to your clinical uh, training and background, and what first uh, excited you and catalyzed you to be involved in this process. Uh, hello, Dr. Marcola. Thanks for uh, inviting me to this uh, meeting. Uh, as a clinical chemotherapy oncology center, we are a team of uh, four MDs, uh, two medical oncologists, uh, Professor Berkarda and Assistant Professor Yikesiji, me and my uh, sister. And uh, firstly, uh, I'd like to mention that Professor Berkarda is, was born in 1932 and is the first medical oncologist of the Turkish nation and uh, was educated in uh, the U.S. back in uh, 1974. And uh, he formed oncology in Turkey and uh, he founded an, uh, Istanbul University and has been practicing oncology for around 50 years now. So. Uh, our starting point was, uh, as uh, all of us know, the death rates in cancer is the same for around 50 years now, and it's not changing much. The mortality rate is similar, and new drugs are increasing median survival with just by means of weeks. And uh, these new drugs that Travis mentioned are being approved uh, to be used clinically, but uh, their effect actually uh, and means of survival isn't that much. So uh, we started as a team back in 2010 and asking the question, how can we help our patients in a better way? Uh, what can we do? What can we add to our standard treatment protocols? And uh, our starting point was that as uh, clinicians. And uh, with time in the last six years, we uh, started applying new therapies, innovative therapies, and uh, seeing how our patients respond to it. So. Uh, and now, and, uh, for the last two years or so, we're uh, doing retrospective analysis of our patients and publishing our treatment outcomes and uh, sharing our remarkable outcomes, actually, that we're able to achieve by combining metabolic therapies with standard conventional protocols, and uh, which I'll be sharing some of them today. Well, let's go forward and, and uh, provide us with your presentation. Uh, so, uh, firstly, uh, our, as an oncology center, as chemotherapy oncology center, our treatment protocol has mainly six constituents, uh, a, a chemotherapy, that, which we call metabolic support chemotherapy, hyperthermia, hyperbaric oxygen therapy, glycolysis inhibitors, 2-deoxyglucose and DCA, and also a ketogenic diet together with phytopharmaceutical supplements. So, uh, shortly, uh, our protocol uh, embodies and, almost every. Excuse every, me for a second. You said uh, glucose or glycolysis therapies, and then was glucose glyc part of this? It's uh, we use glycolysis inhibitors. Oh, uh, so, but what could you name those again? I thought you said glucose, and that seemed a little bit counterintuitive. Uh, we, we use two deoxydee glucose. Oh, two deoxydee glucose. Okay, fine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is an inhibitor uh, for. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
so we use 2-deoxy glucose and this year extensive citations. Uh, shortly, I'd like to explain what metabolic chemotherapy is, uh, because most of uh, almost nobody has heard about it, and we're the only clinic that's applying it and rebuilding into it. Hold on, guys, I'm getting a lot of feedback. Yeah, where do you think it is? Why don't we? You want us to sequentially mute to see who's doing it? I can mute first and see yeah, if it disappears. Actually, actually, Dr. you and Travis are both frozen right now too. I'm frozen. I don't know why. Um, okay, looks like the, the sound is gone. All right, then I, I'm unmuting. I, I muted myself, so. Yeah, I think, I think it was coming from you, actually, Dr. Rapola. That's odd. I don't have anything electronic going on. Maybe I can turn off my integrated amplifier. It shouldn't do it, though. I don't know. Okay. Pick it back up. Um, Abdul, can you start um, back from after Dr. McCall asked you about glucose? Uh, okay, and uh, will uh, the, the, the um, they'll be able to see the patient slides also, right? Uh, when when yes. presented. Yeah. yeah, so you can refer to you know here's the, as you can see in this slide. We'll overlay those. So feel free okay. to refer to those. Okay, and uh, then I'm starting. So uh, uh, I, recall, I can hear you chewing. Okay, I'll stop. No more macadamia nuts. <laughs> All right. So uh, we use glycolysis inhibitors, especially 2-deoxy glucose and DCA in our protocols. Uh, so I'll uh, firstly like to explain what metabolic chemotherapy is. Metabolic chemotherapy is a, a method of applying chemotherapy in a metabolic supported fashion. Firstly, all of our patients are on a ketogenic diet, uh, which may, makes metabolic stress to cancer cells. And uh, before applying chemotherapy, uh, our patients do a 14-hour fasting, which increases the metabolic stress on the cancer cells. And when they come into the clinic, uh, together with the fasting and the ketogenic diet, generally their blood glucose level is around uh, 80s. And then uh, we apply glycolysis inhibitors to inhibit the uh, glycolysis pathway of the cancer cells, and which uh, makes an amazing uh, amount of metabolic stress to cancer cells while they're already hungry for glucose. And together with that, uh, after a while, we apply insulin to lower the blood glucose levels to around 50 and 60 to cause mild hypoglycemia, and then apply chemotherapy after this kind of metabolic stress is uh, applied to the cancer cells. So in this uh, form of application, this increases the efficacy of chemotherapy in a tremendous way. And we've been applying this uh, for the last seven years now, since 2010. And it's an improved version of insulin potentiated chemotherapy, actually. And uh, IPT is known for uh, many, many years now, but it's not uh, too widely applied. And our version of applying chemotherapy is an actually improved and much more uh, effective version of IPT because it combines the metabolic theory with the IPT. And uh, so a metabolic support chemotherapy is just a different way to apply conventional protocols. And we uh, have seen that it increases the effectiveness of standard chemotherapy regimes. And uh, by this way, uh, it gives us uh, the option to apply lower doses, uh, see much lower side effects, but much higher outcomes. And, and let me stop. Can I stop you there for a moment? I think uh, if you had the choices, <clears throat> you probably wouldn't give the chemotherapy agents, but because of the restrictions of the Turkish government where you're doing your work, mm -hmm. you had to give them, but you gave them at the lowest possible dose. Yeah, yeah. The main thing uh, there is uh, also according to the uh, current regime worldwide, uh, as clinicians, the patient must receive uh, what's written in the guidelines. So if you go against the guidelines and if the patient doesn't receive the standard of care, which is chemotherapy, then uh, you're in trouble. Yeah, and hopefully so, work like yours will abolish that standard of care or actually revise it significantly so they don't have to use these dangerous drugs, which probably aren't doing a whole hell of a lot. Definitely, respect, definitely. Respect the other, other six, six components that you're using. 
definitely, definitely. Uh, with uh, time of standard of care changes, maybe in a randomized large-scale clinical trials are done, maybe it will be seen that uh, the standard uh, chemotherapy regimes aren't actually necessary. But uh, we'll need time to see that in a much larger scale clinical trials. And, uh, but in our practice, what we've seen is that when we apply chemotherapy uh, at, together with this metabolic form of passion, uh, we are able to apply it at much lower doses and get much better outcomes. And uh, we apply after chemotherapy uh, together with it uh, at the following days, we apply hypothermia, hyperbaric oxygen therapy, and also we apply daily uh, infusional glycolysis inhibitors together with high-dose vitamin C, DMSO, and many other natural active constituents. And, how, uh, excuse me for interrupting again. How high of the vitamin C dose were you using intravenously? We go up to around 50 grams sometimes. Okay. And uh, haven't seen any uh, serious side effects. And uh, the patients are... When a patient comes in to be treated for bias, if they are a patient, they're always on a ketogenic diet. So the patients are on a ketogenic diet, and the days that they're going to do, uh, that they're going to receive chemotherapy, they do a 14-hour fasting. And they're all, all, also always on uh, phytopharmaceutical supplements uh, that we recommend to our patients. And uh, I'd like to uh, first share our first publication that we did uh, back in uh, the beginning of 2016, where we reported complete response of stage three rectal cancer. And uh, the standard of care for uh, rectal cancer is, and the only curative option is actually surgery uh, or uh, chemoradiotherapy followed by surgery, but the mainly uh, the only curative option is surgery. And in 2016, we uh, made our first publication of uh, treating a stage three rectal cancer patient together with metabolic support chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and hyperthermia. And in that paper, we, the reason we published was actually firstly uh, to show, uh, explain what metabolic support chemotherapy is and show how effective it can be. And the patient uh, that we published was 81 years old back then. And Generally, in an 81-year-old patient, you, you aren't able to apply standard chemotherapy regimens because they aren't able to tolerate it. But uh, by the means of uh, the way we apply chemotherapy, this patient uh, was able to receive uh, chemotherapy at lower doses in a metabolic support fashion, together with radiotherapy and hyperthermia. And uh, I'd like to show the initial PET-CT scan of this patient. And uh, we can see a 5.5-centimeter a large uh, tumor in the rectum of this patient. And after, uh, now you can see the control PET-CT of the patient three months later, uh, where you can see the disappearance of this tumor. And uh, this patient uh, is in complete response. And uh, after uh, getting this uh, complete response, this, uh, we uh, continue with uh, follow-up follow -up treatment uh, to get in the way of recurrence. And we published this paper after a 27-month follow-up uh, back in January 2016. And while the patient was still in uh, complete response and remission, and uh, still uh, after around uh, one more year passed since we published the paper, so now it's been around 14 months since this patient uh, has gone into remission, and she's healthy and alive. So uh, this publication mainly uh, showed that chemotherapy, when it's uh, applied in a metabolic supported fashion, can be applied to uh, patients that normally can't be able to receive treatment. And also when it's applied uh, with increased efficacy, uh, a, a responses that aren't normal generally, which is a complete response in this uh, stage of a disease, can be achieved by the means of metabolic, metabolic support. And uh, a month after publishing that uh, paper, uh, we published our uh, paper on our pancreatic cancer patients, which is a case series of our patients that uh, came to our clinic with the diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. And it's a retrospective ana analysis of uh, patients that came to our clinic 
between 2011 and 2015. And that had the diagnosis of stage three and four unresectable pancreatic adenocarcinoma. And uh, we had 33 patients uh, that came, uh, came to our clinic between that time span. And uh, the 81% of these patients had stage four disease upon uh, starting treatment at our clinic. And they received uh, the standard uh, chemotherapy regimen, which is gamstadium based chemotherapy. Excuse me, excuse me for a moment. I just want to help put this in perspective. So this is stage, most of these patients, the vast majority had stage four adenopancreatic yes. carcinoma. So yes. can, what is the prognosis for that typically? So people get understand that this is one of the most aggressive cancers that yes. are known. Uh, generally, uh, if a patient has uh, stage 4 pancreatic uh, adenocarcinoma, these patients will live around uh, six months, the most up to uh, 10 months or so. But if they have uh, large-scale liver metastasis, they can live uh, as low as a couple of weeks even. So uh, if a patient uh, is stage 4, uh, generally, they'll be, uh, the expected lifespan is mostly uh, around six months. And uh, but I'd like to also note that the patients that generally uh, that had care, that are in uh, receiving treatment that are clinic is generally stage uh, the end of stage four uh, end stage disease, and uh, most of them had uh, large scale liver, meta liver metastasis. And uh, but uh, what we saw was uh, even though they were end stage advanced patients, they responded uh, amazingly. To this sort of treatment. Uh, I'd like to note that uh, the chemotherapy that they received is again a standard uh, regimes. Uh, in this diagnosis, there are two protocols that uh, you'll apply uh, against studying based chemotherapy or uh, polypinox. And uh, we applied the same chemo regimens in a metabolic supportive fashion. And uh, together with that, we applied hypothermia, hyperbaric oxygen therapy and uh, the ketogenic diet, supplements, and glycolysis inhibitors. So when we uh, published uh, this article uh, back in uh, January 2016, I'll also like to note that 54% of these patients were still alive. And uh, so uh, currently, most of these patients are also on follow-up treatments, and uh, most of them are still continuing to live. And I'd like to uh, share our results uh, regarding median survival time. And uh, in, a, in a stage four uh, patients uh, that have good performance status, there are in our guidelines, uh, the expected median survival time of these chemotherapy regimens is for a game studying based protocol, uh, the median survival time is 6.2 months. And for a Folfirinox regimen, uh, this is 11.1 months. And uh, in our uh, patient group, we've uh, seen that and we've reported that when these chemotherapy regimens are applied in a metabolic supported fashion, our median survival time was 19.5 months, while 54% of these patients were still alive. And uh, we will be publishing a update uh, regarding these patients. And actually, uh, the survival time is uh, over 20 months. And uh, the one-year survival rate for a GAMS7-based protocol is 20%. For polyphenols, it's 48%. And we've seen in our uh, metabolic support chemotherapy regimen, it's 82.5 months. So uh, these are uh, this shows how uh, effective uh, metabolically uh, metabolic support uh, can change the outcomes of treatments and how effective these kind of treatments can be. And as you, as all of us know, the most uh, scary, uh, scared uh, cancer diagnosis, the most, the fastest is pancreatic cancer. But currently in our regimes, uh, we're seeing amazing outcomes. And uh, it's just uh, so exciting to see how uh, small differences uh, can change these patients' lives so much. And uh, we will be uh, publishing and uh, our upcoming paper will be a, non, a stage for non-small cell lung cancer, and I'll also explain uh, some of our outcomes in that uh, in the 
uh, shortly. But first, I'd like to show a couple cases that received treatment at our clinic uh, that had pain, uh, the diagnosis of stage four pancreatic cancer. And so uh, you can see uh, this 42 year old male, uh, stage four pancreatic cancer patient, and EK. And he, he's an international patient that came to us from Georgia, uh, a close uh, country to uh, Turkey. And uh, in the, uh, you can see the initial PET scan of the patient. And uh, he has uh, widespread liver metastasis. Also, you can see the pancreatic mass. And uh, on the second slide, we can uh, see uh, the liver uh, tumors and uh, how widespread they are and the, how metabolically active they are. And, and now uh, you can see the uh, control PET scan that was done three months after uh, this patient started treatment at our clinic. And uh, this patient is in complete response and uh, was followed uh, up uh, for a while more. And uh, this patient was also a drug addict and uh, he had many other complications together with having pancreatic cancer. And uh, he received treatment for around one and a half years and uh, later on uh, wasn't, uh, didn't uh, come to our clinic. And he continued uh, treatment uh, and follow up in his own country. Uh, but this patient, even though he was stage four end stage patient, had many uh, complications together with uh, pancreatic cancer, with drug addict, and uh, in uh, three months of time, uh, he uh, got complete response and was in remission. I'd like to share another uh, patient, a nine-year-old female patient named M.E., and uh, you can see the initial test scan of this patient. She has large uh, liver masses, uh, abdominal masses, and you can see the pancreatic mass also. So uh, she's a stage four patient. And uh, on the test scan, you can see the ESKI uh, written on top of it, which means old. It's the initial PET-CT of this patient. And uh, you can uh, also see uh, that she's 39 years old. Uh, we, we see many patients uh, in this uh, kind of age. Normally, uh, Professor Barkard notes that like uh, years ago, uh, as all of us know, cancer was seen as a disease of old people. Uh, but uh, currently with uh, this kind of diet that we have, this more modern lifestyle, high stress and high, carb high carbohydrate diets and many other uh, environmental factors, we're seeing many patients in this sort of age in their 30s or 40s. Currently, and this female patient was 39 years old. She had stage four pancreatic cancer. And this is uh, the uh, PET scan three months after that. And uh, where we can see a serious treatment response, roughly, uh, uh, and uh, she's in partial response and uh, serious regression in her liver masses and also the abdominal masses. And uh, this patient later on continued treatment and uh, she also uh, reached a complete response and, and still in follow-up. And this is the PET scan only, the initial PET scan and three months after it. And I'd like to show one of the most dramatic patients. This is a 70-year-old male patient that has uh, pancreatic cancer. This patient is a, a quite original patient. Uh, he was being followed for prostate cancer. At, at another hospital and uh, with uh, declining quality of life, uh, he, he went to his physician and so his physician ordered a PET scan to be done. And he, they got this result. So he was sent back home uh, because he had so, uh, so widespread disease. Uh, they didn't recommend treatment to him. And uh, he heard about us and what we're doing and treating uh, our patients. So uh, because of the, uh, this widespread disease, uh, we uh, ordered a new biopsy to be done because this, generally this kind of aggressive disease isn't expected in prostate cancer. Uh, so we had a hard time convincing our 
surgeon to do the biopsy even, and because he didn't believe the patient would live even uh, for for a couple of days even. So, uh, but we convinced him to do the biopsy and this uh, got the diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. So uh, we started treatment and uh, he had terrible quality of life and uh, he was uh, he wasn't able to walk at all. And uh, so uh, even in this uh, sort of condition, patients that normally won't, won't be eligible to receive standard conventional protocols because of their uh, quality of life status and their liver function and, and many other medical complications, uh, they are able to receive uh, treatment uh, by the means of metabolic support. And so I'd like to show the PET scan three months after that. And uh, now you can see that and you can see uh, how uh, regressed, how, uh, how well we respond to treatment. And, uh, but he still has uh, widespread disease. And I'd like to show the PET scan three months after that, uh, where we can see that he is in complete response and remission. This is a fu fusion image of the PET CT scan. And uh, normally, uh, the, the yellow, uh, we will see tumors in the yellow color. Uh, yellow will show the metabolic activity. And as you can see, he's in uh, complete response and remission. Uh, this PET scan was done in October 7, 2016, as you can see on the image. And uh, this patient uh, is still in remission, and uh, he's clean. Of, he doesn't have any detectable tumors currently. So. Uh, shortly, uh, I'd like to again note that by with this patient and also uh, the results that we have obtained in the last five years, we can see uh, how much treatment outcomes can change when they're applied uh, in, uh, in a metabolic support fashion. And uh, conventional protocols, uh, there are many uh, shortcomings of standard regimes, not only about survival rates, but also quality of life of patients. So, and uh, the one main concern of these new, highly, uh, very expensive new drugs that Travis mentioned, another serious problem is, yes, some of them have uh, a very marginal uh, effect on survival, but they have a dramatic effect on the quality of life of the patients, patients which is the main concern in using them besides the high cost that they have. And uh, uh, as uh, you guys can see uh, in these PET scans, maybe uh, we're able to see uh, how outcomes can change by uh, small additions. Uh, but it's mainly uh, we can change the course of this disease and the outcomes when we start thinking differently, when we start uh, looking for treatments that can help these patients that are fighting the most deadly of all diseases. It's just about looking at a different angle, having a wider approach to treatment, and just searching for things that can help these people. That was uh, where we started out back in 2010. And uh, we're, we're just so excited. And it's just about reading and looking for things that can help these patients. And uh, we, we just wrote up our uh, our paper on our non-small cell lung cancer patients, and uh, all, all of them are stage four patients, and uh, we're hoping to publish uh, this paper in the upcoming months. It's currently being evaluated by a leading journal to be published, but uh, I'd like to uh, shortly uh, tell the results, and uh, people can uh, read it when it's published in more detail, but it's a gathering of a patient, a patient diagnosed with stage four non-small cell lung cancer in the last four years. <coughs> and uh, in, these, in the paper, we have 44 patients that we uh, have reported about. And uh, in stage four non-small cell lung cancer, uh, there are, uh, we apply a chemotherapy regimen called uh, car the carboplatin taxel regimen. And uh, in guidelines, in large-scale clinical trials, the uh, expected survival time for these patients is between uh, 6 to 11 months. 
and, uh, and there isn't uh, any uh, specific trial that uh, enrolled only stage four patients with uh, poor performance status because uh, generally the main problem with these kind of patients is that besides advanced disease they have uh, very poor uh, performance conditions and quality of life so they generally can't tolerate conventional chemo regimens but uh, all of our patients in our paper are stage four patients that have advanced disease and uh, we've seen amazing results and uh, in these 44 patients the overall survival time is 43.4 months so uh, it's over fourfold uh, the longest survival time uh, mentioned in any standard chemotherapy regimen in the uh, in our published scientific data uh, so this is a dramatic result and uh, even though the patient group that we had is had more advanced disease and uh, had uh, a poor performance status. Uh, so, and uh, I'd like to show a couple uh, uh, slides, example patients. And uh, now you can see a 55-year-old male uh, patient that has uh, non-small cell lung cancer. This is a patient actually that's not in our paper. He's a new patient. He's the father of my uh, colleague's barber, actually. And uh, you can see how uh, large a tumor he has on his left lung. And this is a fusion image of that CT, where we can see the large tumor again. And in three months of time, we can see how well he responded to the uh, treatment and the shrunk tumor. And this is the fusion image of the uh, follow-up CT. And uh, this patient, again, uh, received uh, treatment for uh, three months more and now is in remission currently. And another patient uh, is, and this patient is a 61-year-old male patient that has non-small cell lung cancer. And you can see the large mass at the right upper lobe of the lung and also uh, other uh, metastasized tumors in the left lung and also the ribs. And uh, this is uh, the follow-up PET-CT scan where we can see how well he has responded to treatment of the front tumor. This is the fusion image again of the follow-up PET-CT where we can see that uh, how small of a tumor has, uh, is left there. And again, with uh, follow-up treatments, this patient has been put into remission also. So uh, this, uh, by this, we were able to see that patients that normally are sent home to, uh, to just wait for the end to die and also patients that won't be able to receive even treatment and uh, how well they can respond to treatment when we just uh, do interventions that will increase the efficacy of uh, our weapons and also uh, support their general well-being. Uh, the, the advantage of metabolic uh, treatments is that they're generally not toxic at all. They uh, support the general well-being of the patient while they're also treating the disease. So in conventional <clears throat> therapies, generally, uh, they're very toxic and uh, they, they affect the quality of life uh, in a serious way, and uh, which is a serious problem for patients that uh, have this kind of a disease. But uh, metabolic interventions, uh, generally, they support the general well-being of the patient, which is while they're also increasing the survival time of these patients, which is extremely important. And I'd like to uh, show uh, some other patients that have other diagnoses also, so uh, uh, people can see how effective uh, this kind of a protocol can be. And uh, now I'll show a, a patient that had, that was diagnosed with breast cancer, a 33-year-old female patient. In this PET scan, we can see uh, that she has a large mass in the right, right breast, and we can see how large it is. And this is the axial view of the PET CT. She has an extremely large tumor in the right breast, and she's 33 years old. And this is the picture of uh, this patient's breast when she came to our clinic. 
you can see <coughs> uh, the tumor and uh, you, you, you'll realize this patient coming to the clinic from around uh, three meters of uh, space because it's not so bad actually. And uh, this is another picture of the tumor. And uh, this patient uh, is a quite, she, she was uh, young and she also waited an extremely long time to uh, go to uh, receive treatment because uh, she was just scared of uh, receiving uh, toxic therapies. And uh, she was referred to us by another patient of ours. And, and now I'd like to show the PET scan three months after she came to us where we can see the complete response. And uh, this is again the axial view of the PET scan. And she's uh, in complete response. This is the picture of the breast. You can see, see how well uh, she has responded and uh, the breast has healed. And this is only in three months of time. And uh, she uh, also, after uh, coming to this point, and uh, we uh, again continued treatment. And uh, this, these results are actually from around uh, three months, uh, three years ago. And uh, this patient is still uh, alive and healthy in a, a very good quality of life. And she's clean of, uh, clean of cancer. There's no detectable disease currently in her. And I'd like to show another uh, breast cancer patient. Uh, this uh, patient uh, was 40 years old. We, we can see a large mass in her right breast. And this is the axial view with the PET scan. And uh, now we can see how the breast uh, looked from outside when she came to us. And uh, we can see uh, the tumor. This is another image of her breast uh, before treatment. And uh, now this is the control PET scan that was done three months after it, where we can see that only a very small uh, mass is left around one centimeters and uh, almost complete response. And uh, this is the axial view. And now we can see the healed breast tissue. And uh, this patient, uh, again, uh, responded remarkably. And uh, these are results generally that can't be even uh, dreamed of with standard regimes. Uh, but uh, it's actually uh, normal to us to see these results currently for the last couple of years. And uh, so I'd like to sh share uh, one more breast cancer patient uh, that came to us from the United Arab Emirates. And uh, I'd like to share uh, the story of this patient because uh, she was, uh, she, had one, she lost one of her sons to cancer and uh, at a very uh, young age. And uh, she was traumatized uh, from that event. And she saw how her son suffered while he was receiving treatment and refused to receive any kind of, any kind of treatment. Uh, and uh, she heard about our treatments and uh, came in uh, to our clinic. And uh, actually, uh, I, we, we refused for her to come at the beginning because she was uh, hospitalized in, uh, in her home country. And uh, she came in uh, without our notice. And when she came in, uh, she had a performance score of three. So she, she's not, she wasn't able to walk at all. And uh, she was only 38 kilograms when she came to our clinic. And we did a PET CT scan. And now uh, we can see uh, her large uh, tumor in her right breast, also in her left axillary lymph nodes. And uh, also in this uh, second image, we can see uh, that the uh, cancer has spread to the uh, right bre left breast also. And this is the axial view where we can see how widespread of a tumor she has in her right breast is coming down. Uh, she had uh, skin nodules that can be that could be seen clearly. And this is again an axial view of the PET scan. And uh, this is a sagittal view from the side. And we can see uh, how widespread a, a disease she has. It's, it covered uh, all of her uh, skin coming way right to her back. And this is the control PET CT three months 
after she uh, started treatment at us, where we can see complete response. And uh, this is the uh, axial view, this first image. This is uh, the coronal view from the front, where we can see that this patient is in, is in complete response. And uh, the main uh, thing to note here is that, firstly, this, this patient uh, in the performance status that she was in when she came to us, the stage of the disease, the length of the, uh, the, the tumor, the, uh, besides even dreaming of this kind of response, uh, even if she was able to live for three months more, that would have been remarkable and standard uh, regimes. And uh, you won't expect that patient to live that much, actually. And uh, But besides living, she, she received treatment, she received chemotherapy and metabolic support attention. And day by day, she uh, her quality of life improved, even though she was uh, receiving uh, toxic therapies. Uh, but the main thing there is that we apply, when we uh, apply chemotherapy in a, this kind of method, we're able to use much lower doses. And uh, this, because the effectiveness increases so much, uh, the patient responds and also uh, together with the treatment response, the the weight of this uh, stress on the body decreases, and day by day, uh, her quality of life increased. And uh, now it's been around uh, six more months past since this uh, complete response was achieved, and uh, she's still in remission and will be doing a another PET scan uh, two weeks from now, and uh, she's uh, in remission for the last six months now. It's been nine months uh, since she came to our clinic, and uh, it's just amazing. And uh, currently she's around uh, 45 kilos, and so she gained weight, and uh, her quality of life is, uh, is, is almost normal for the last six months. And uh, last, uh, I'll, I'd like to show a couple more patients, uh, shortly a gastric cancer patient. And this uh, female a patient was 45 years old, and uh, again, a stage four uh, patient. We can see her uh, abdominal masses and uh, uh, large uh, spread liver mass, and also uh, it's metastasized to her esophagus also, as we can see. And uh, this is the control PET CT uh, three months later, where we can see complete response. These uh, the black dots that we, we see in the PET image is normal physiological uptake of the kidneys with the FPG, so that's normal. And besides that, uh, as we can see, there's no uptake of FPG, and so she's in complete response. And uh, also, I'd like to show a, a, another patient, another female patient, 45 years old, that had soft tissue sarcoma, an aggressive disease, we can see her initial PET scan, and she has a widespread disease, especially in her lungs. And this is uh, her control PET CT three months later, where we can see uh, how uh, much the disease regressed. And uh, this is uh, what I'd like to show. And shortly, uh, we're doing uh, these therapies for around six years now, uh, since the end of uh, 2010. And uh, it's just amazing uh, to see uh, how well uh, patients' outcomes can uh, change by uh, applying metabolic therapies. And uh, people are, we're just sharing our outcomes. Uh, we just started to share our outcomes for the last year or so now, uh, because uh, if we all, this was an, uh, we were also trying to see and uh, be sure that this therapy is working actually. And we, we were, were uh, doing statistical analysis with all of our patients currently that received treatment in the last six years. And uh, even uh, sometimes when we do our analysis of patients that received treatment in this uh, long period of time, uh, even we're shocked uh, how well our outcomes are. And it's uh, just amazing. And uh, hopefully, uh, we hope that uh, this kind of treatment uh, will be a standard of care in the upcoming years. And 
uh, we uh, are trying to uh, share uh, what we're doing and how we're achieving these kind of results. So other clinics and other physicians will also hopefully start doing uh, similar therapies to us. And uh, so it's mainly uh, the starting point uh, for clinicians like us. Uh, it should be like uh, asking, asking questions, how can we improve and how help these patients? And uh, the main uh, advantage of metabolic therapies is that they are toxic therapies and uh, they can be applied very easily. It just needs a different mindset and uh, asking questions and just reading the literature, actually, uh, which unfortunately uh, most of us don't do as much as necessary. And because there's so much literature out there, and uh, like as an example, we're, we're doing uh, this for the last six years, and, and we have colleagues that uh, we tell our and share our outcomes with, but they, they just don't read. And they, uh, they, they don't, uh, it's just mainly about having a basic scientific approach to treatment and looking at the literature and then applying uh, what's not to be beneficial. And that's Great. how we well, came to this point. I really appreciate you paving the way for implementing these metabolic therapies because to the best of my knowledge, you're one of the foremost clinical oncology centers doing this. I mean, there's some in the U.S., but nowhere near as advanced in getting there. It's shocking, and I think that is an, a, a most accurate description of the results that you're achieving. And uh, when Dr. Seyfried who saw these results in Tampa two weeks ago, who is really one of the pioneers in promoting this type of therapy, at least from a biochemical perspective, not implementing, he's not a clinician, he's, he's, a, he's a researcher, and he put, compiled the data and, and prevent, presented the evidence, which you obviously read and, and applied. But he was shocked, was he, he was going around the conference, his jaw was dropped the entire weekend. He couldn't believe, the only thing he was talking about was your results. So this is just beyond phenomenal. I can't thank you enough. Again, this is, to the best of my knowledge, the first time this information and data is being publicly shared. I'm sure you've shared it at some other clinical meetings, but this in a public setting, this is the first time. So this just highlights the enormous potential. This is the leading edge of the, the results that can be achieved and rapidly achieved, which you emphasize with implementation of this therapy. So let's take it back to Travis because he's such an eloquent um, presenter and can consolidate some of the ideas that Dr. Slocum just presented. Wow, there's a lot there, isn't there? Yeah, so to me, um, like you said, Dr. Seyfried, when this, when this all began, with his book to me you know he's the godfather of metabolic therapies 2012 this was largely theoretical there was some preclinical work <clears throat> that suggested it was going to be efficacious but we had no idea so he was out on a limb suggesting these things the ketogenic diet to patients but this is exactly what we need we need this sort of uh you know good robust clinical data to go to the next step and so this is just the beginning um it took a very passionate proactive uh, clinician like Dr. Slocum to do this and you know you can hear in his voice he, he intimately knows each patient this is coming from a place of um, you know ge genuine desire to help patients and so and he's he made the great point that there's so much literature to, to go through that sort of clinicians turn their brain off and stop trying um, so so happy that he found this work and did this and we're just getting started I mean he's implemented some of the very basic steps but Dr. Seyfried is still in the lab working out the details and others now, and this is only going to improve. So uh, Dr. Seyfried and Dr. Slocum met in Tampa and they've struck up a collaboration to perhaps move some more of this preclinical stuff into his clinic and get even more data. So hopefully a year from now when we talk about, you know, these shocking outcomes are even more shocking. And just to summarize his stage three or his uh, lung cancer paper is, is incredible. Like he said, they got, very, very tough patients in stage four that, you know, a certain percentage of them aren't going to make it no matter what. But if they can get through his metabolic protocol, he, he at median survival increased 400%. So that's incredible. And this stuff, you know, basically is free. It just took 
somebody motivated enough to do this. I mean, 2DG is expensive, but the ketogenic diet is free. It just takes work. So, um, yeah, I couldn't be more happy to, that this data is coming to light. Yeah, well, thank you for that. And thank you also for writing the book, which I neglected to mention, The Metabolic uh, the, Tripping Over the Truth, The Metabolic Theory of Cancer, which first catalyzed my interest in this and caused me to write the book Fat for Fuel, which will be out real shortly, that provides patients with the practical details of how to implement the foundational core of metabolic therapy, which is the diet. Now, it's not the only one. If you just do metabolic therapy, you're not going to treat cancers and get results like this. You have to use a stack therapy, use multiple regimens like the the hyperbaric oxygen, the, the glycolysis inhibitors, uh, ins insulin potentiated therapy. You know, these are all and others that are still being evolved, but all of them non-toxic is the key and get these amazing results. So thank you so much for doing that. Thank you also for reviewing my book, Fat for Fuel, and providing some really good insights in, into that. But this is such powerful work that needs to be shared with so many and give people hope that does, cancer does not have to be a death sentence, even at stage four. Obviously, if you're at stage one or two, it's going to be much easier to treat. The results are going to be phenomenal, beyond phenomenal. And the likelihood of dying from that malignancy is going to be very, very insignificant, uh, radically reduced at the minimum. So uh, I just think this is, is going to be have has such enormous potential. So Dr. Slocum, let's take it back to you. And if you'd like to have any concluding comments or summaries or points that you'd like to emphasize. Uh, I'd like to emphasize shortly that uh, one thing that I'd like to emphasize is that as Travis said, let's say the ketogenic diet, it's so effective. It's so effective. It's just about being strict about eating certain things and not eating other things and it needs commitment. And what we've seen with our patients generally, like we see, we aren't able to be with them every day. So they come into treatment, we do our, our metabolic support chemotherapy, our hypothermia, work oxygen, but then they're sent home. And uh, it's mainly what affects their outcome also is, is in their hands, keeping to the diet, using the supplements that we recommend, and uh, fasting prior to coming to treatment to our clinic. And uh, generally, uh, what we've seen in these last years, sometimes some patients don't respond uh, as well as we will expect. They'll respond well, but not as much as we'll expect. So when we uh, go deep and ask questions like, did you follow your diet? It will come out like, well, for the last month or so, I'm, I'm, I'm relaxed more, like I'm start, I start to eat some bread. Like, <laughs> then we say, oh, okay, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, uh, uh, as uh, we, we said, like a metabolic discipline, it's just about a discipline lifestyle. And we, what we tell our patients is that we want to turn this disease, it's not a death sentence, and we'll, we want to turn it into a chronic disease similar to hypertension and diabetes that patients live lifelong. And uh, so, but it's only about the turning after re reaching complete response, after doing follow-up treatments and for a certain uh, period of time. The patient is sent home and is, uh, is a follow-up patient. And uh, what kicks in then is the basic lifestyle uh, disciplines that the patient has to apply. And, uh, and we've seen how well uh, diet and uh, supplementary support can work. And uh, it's just uh, amazing. Well, thank you for that. And I have one question for you specifically, because what we've learned, what we've learned, we you, you reemphasize the point, and I think it's appropriate that when you have a life-threatening condition like stage four cancer, you've got to be essentially obsessive compulsive. You've got to do this thing to the letter. You cannot veer from off in any way, shape, or form if you expect to achieve these types of results. Obviously, if it's not such a significant disease, it's not much of an issue. But we know when we're treating less serious diseases, someone who's seeking to optimize their health or, or aging, slow down the aging process, a principle that we've uncovered is that you need to cycle so that nutritional ketosis is a 
powerful intervention as you've shown. But if you do it continuously, it actually can be counterproductive. So you have to have days where you're cycling, where you actually give them 100, 150 grams of carbohydrate, and then that in this in, and more protein too, especially with strength training to address some of the cyclopenia that occurs in cancer. But when that happens, then you that refeeding re, that refeeding phase. That's where the magic happens, and you get this enormous anabolic shift, and then you go back into it. So I'm wondering if you're implementing that clinically, even in these advanced cancer patients. Uh, yes, uh, yes, we, we, we apply a similar thing. Uh, as an example, uh, when patients come in, they're on a ketogenic diet, and when they will be coming in for chemotherapy, they'll do a 14-hour fast, and uh, then we'll apply uh, glycosyl inhibitors and insulin to lower the glucose and then apply chemotherapy. And after uh, applying chemotherapy, uh, on the day of chemotherapy, uh, they're uh, able to eat whatever they want because especially because of the mild hypoglycemia that because it's applying insulin. So the day of chemotherapy is when they get uh, as much as carbohydrate they want. And uh, besides that, what we uh, do is uh, according to the treatment response and uh, with time, patients have a hard time uh, so strict. So uh, every now and then we, uh, when they're in the clinic, we, we give them like a small kind of presents, let's say, <laughs> like a small piece of a biscuit or like that, like a specific dessert to give them a piece of cake uh, every other three months or so. So it's, it's mainly about uh, like, uh, it's just about knowing your patient and what, what they can keep to. When we see a patient, uh, isn't that the patient, you, you understand the patient, they aren't going to keep to the diet. So uh, to get them, uh, have to have them stick to the diet but when we see them like we give them short, small treats and say look now you had this now do your diet until we see you next week so uh, we do uh, also intermittent uh, fasting every other week or so which uh, we see to be effective but and what is what is your intermittent fasting how long are you fasting is it like 14 16 18 hours a day yeah, 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 yeah. They're mostly fourteen hours, a minimum for minimum of fourteen hours. Okay, great. Well, that is really encouraging because you know myself, I tried mm -hmm. to apply this, and I'm obsessive compulsive, and I just stuck to it, and then didn't do any of the cycling. I never understood or appreciated the importance of it. And it sounds like it, even in this advanced treatment of stage four cancers, that it, it you're implementing it and it's working. And I think. It also sounds like you're seeking to give them some treats, some extra carbohydrates for compliance. But my guess is it's not just the compliance issue. You are actually metabolically optimizing the response by cycling them off and on like that, which, you know, it, it isn't obviously intuitive. And most people reading Dr. Seyfried's book or seeking to implement themselves would not understand that the cycling is really important. Uh, definitely about uh, compliance. Also, uh, it's about... Uh, uh, it's part of the treatment because we see patients, especially like every other week, norm, normal chemotherapy regimens, like uh, there are a couple of different ways, but according to the diagnosis, but uh, generally it will be every other three weeks or every other two weeks. But we generally tend to do like a weekly chemotherapy and uh, low dose weekly chemotherapy uh, is our uh, way we apply it according to the diagnosis, this can change. Uh, but uh, because we see the patients quite more frequent than general, and uh, we, uh, we generally do that intermittent carbohydrate uh, usage in, in, in that specific day. So one final question, I'll let you summarize any, and emphasize any additional points, but uh, you are actively enrolling patients in these trials, and I'm wondering if patients from the United States, which is the bulk of our readers, uh, who are challenged with these conditions, are, is it possible for them to visit your clinic? Well, uh, currently, uh, this, we, we, are, uh, we actually aren't doing uh, trials, uh, randomized clinical trials, but we're applying, we have a specific treatment protocol uh, which uh, is based on metabolic therapies. And uh, in our publications, we, uh, are, we do retrospective analysis of the survival times of our patients and the quality of life of those patients. And, uh, and we get statistically significant results because uh, we gather uh, groups of the last six years of treatments 
And uh, currently we have many international patients. We have uh, most of them from Europe, uh, some, uh, a couple from Canada, and also a couple from the US uh, is also uh, actively receiving treatment at our clinic. And uh, of course, uh, patients from the United States uh, are more than welcome to come to treatment at our clinic. And uh, there are many direct flights from uh, many airports from the US. Well, great. And if the patients, for whatever reasons, are unable to go to your clinic uh, on your published protocols, uh, would it be possible for if they had an enlightened physician who was open to this type of treatment to implement a similar regimen uh, in their in their local area? Uh, well, uh, hope we hope that uh, there will be uh, physicians open to applying similar regim regimens uh, uh, to ours. But uh, mostly, what patients that aren't able to come to our clinic that can they can do is they firstly have to go on a ketogenic diet, mm -hmm. and uh, which is very effective. And together with that, uh, they should go to their chemotherapy uh, in a fasting state as long as they can stand it, a minimum of 12 hours. We generally recommend to our patients a 14-hour fast, but a longer fast is also. Uh, and, and, the more and they can take it, the better it is. And then a reduced amount of the chemotherapeutic agent. So what is the typical reduction? Is it 80%, 90% less of a dose that, that you're administering? It, it, it changes according to the uh, patient's diagnosis, the condition, but uh, there is a dose range recommended in, uh, in guidelines, and we tend to go at the uh, lowest recommended dose. Okay, so the lowest recommended dose that's possible. Yes. Okay. To avoid the complications, obviously. All right. Any other summarizing points you'd, or that you'd like to mention or emphasize? Uh, no, mostly uh, I'd like to emphasize. Uh, I hope uh, people out there can see how effective metabolic therapies can be and uh, how they can en enhance conventional treatment protocols also. And uh, I encourage uh, clinicians out there to ask similar questions to us, to read the literature and start applying similar therapies to ours. Okay, back to Travis and same questions. Any points you'd like to emphasize or uh, summarize with? Uh, no, those are fantastic. What I would like to say is, you know, uh, patients who are confused by the ketogenic diet, you know, often don't know the difference between protein and a carbohydrate and what constant. That's where they often get tripped up as they're not sure what a carbohydrate is. So uh, companies are stepping into the spray and making pre-packed, I think more than one now, pre-packaged ketogenic meals for cancer patients that takes out the guesswork. And they're really, the ones that I've seen are really, really well done by gourmet chefs, real ingredients. So uh, that's another option that, you know, there's enough on patients' plates to begin with. So trying to, to learn this diet, I think, you know, we're coming up with new options now with these pre-packaged meals. So that's gonna take a lot of the guesswork out for patients, I think. Well, great. So thank you both for all your contributions. It's greatly appreciated. And uh, if you're particularly interested in this for yourself or someone you love uh, and you're still not convinced, then my recommendation to you would be to listen to the interview that I did with Travis and read his book, Tripping Over the Truth, which will provide the background for as to why this therapy should work and why the conventional approach is fatally flawed. And if you're beyond that point and you accept it and, and really want to strategize how to do it and implement it, then I would highly recommend to get my new book, Fat for Fuel, that, which gives you the, the down and dirty details. And there's also going to be a lot of collaborative support. Uh, there is going to be a Hay House a nine hour video series that's available plus a, um, a, a certification course that's being developed with Miriam Kalamian who helped me edit the book. Uh, and this is certification is going to be for any qualified clinician, primarily new, new certified new clinical nutritionists, but also physicians, so that they could know how to practically implement this in real time. So there'll be a, a, an army of clinicians that can assist you with this. So again, thanks again uh, for developing this resource. Cancer, as we said at the beginning, is killing 1,600 people a day every day in the United States, 20,000 a day worldwide. And I believe, like most people who've studied this, that the vast majority the vast majority of them, of these patients are needlessly dying and suffering because they don't have access to this type of information.